So welcome to episode one. Uh, we're pretty excited by this and it's, it's obviously something that we've been talking about for quite a while. And to give a bit of context for, for those that are listening is that over the break, upon reflection of the privilege of what we get to do every single day, that we get to sit within organisations at, at all different levels, sometimes significant you know, transactions that go on. I, I think of things that, that are, you know, that the New South Wales government or the Australian government, privatisation of companies. We get to see, you know, billion dollar buyouts and trade sales and, and, and we get to play a, a role in these. And what we talked about, Jed, and I should introduce Jed Wood, my co-founder of Enable SE. Thanks for joining, Jed. It's good to be here. Uh, is that these learnings, because they're across so many industries, so many people of so many levels, these learnings could be for absolutely anyone. And we thought that, you know, I'm big into reflection, I'm, you know, I'm into my journaling. What if just every day I just journaled, well, what did I learn today? What did I learn that we could share to somebody else? And then once a week, uh, we're going to sit down with different guests and we're going to uh, explore what we learned from this world of sales coaching. And uh, hopefully, you know, that each of you get something out of it uh, from what we're seeing out there. Uh, Jed, you want to give a 30 second background on, on yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I, I look after the, uh, the data and analytics side of the business. So where you're out consulting and identifying challenges and opportunities within organisations. I'm helping the organisations assess the skill set, the toolkit, sometimes the mindset of the team, and working out where the top performers within the teams do something different, approach their work differently, that provides us insights that can help the whole team perform better. You know, one of the, the reasons I was so keen to, to talk to you about this when we first started is that, you know, I know we've known each other for probably 10 years now, or quite a long time, is we, we approach things from two different ways. And I think that's the beauty of what we do, right? And, and I think both of us have an analytical streak, but you're sort of set there, and both of us still have that emotive EQ streak, but I'm probably more on that side there. But I thought that the topics that we're gonna bring up today and, and, and in the future, we're gonna come at it from different positions and different aspects. And I think because we know each other so well and you know, known each other for that many years, but also, you know, like brothers, mate, is that we can disagree Absolutely. And it doesn't affect the, the, the relationship. So I thought this would be good that we can uh, potentially have a couple of disagreements on this as well. Well, I'll try not to agree with you from time to time. That's right, yeah. What was it you say once? Yeah. <laughs> I like everyone to have a say. And then we just together go back to doing what I said we're going to do anyway. Perfect. So it's, uh, it works out well. Look, this has hit me this week. It, it's my first week back at work. And I have a number of my clients telling me that they need to start the year and they need to do more with less. Yep. They need to rationalise their teams, which I find is a, a beautiful term, rationalise, isn't it? Um, that we have to rationalise when really what they're saying is we need to let people go, yep. right? So often it's reducing headcount, often it's reducing costs around, you know, offsites, training and development, uh, travel, all those aspects there that there's a real cost cutting. And I say there's a number of clients that are going through this process at the moment. It's never a fun process because, you know, these clients, these sort of staff that we have are, you know, like family in a lot of cases okay. and have to let them go. But the two things that spring to mind, and, and we've talked about this before, is number one um, is this idea of what's happening to your sales target. So if we're reducing the, the head count by 20%, are we happy to have 20% less sales? <laughs> How many cases do you think they're reducing the, the sales target? Never seen it. Doesn't Never happen. Never seen it. Right? And in most cases, what do they do? 
Yeah, that, that increase it as if the team's the same size. Right, and yeah. so what that brings to the conversation, this is what I'll start with is, and, and this is probably more going out to sales leaders, but I think this is important to sales people as well, is if you're clear on the ROI of your sales people, right? If you know that it costs 100, 200, 500,000, a million dollars for a salesperson, if you're clear on the return that they provide, then you would never need to rationalize them. Or why would you wait for an impact in the market to rationalize it? Because if we're not getting a return, what are they doing there? Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. And I think as a salesperson, we should keep that in mind. I remember when I, I've worked for myself for most of the time, but when I did join a consulting company, I took a retainer, you know, an advanced retainer out. And I remember, you know, people were watching me how hard I was working and cold calling. And they said, oh, what's the goal? And I said, this retainer needs to get paid back because otherwise I'm not going to be here. Yeah, you know, you're an expense. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And once I knew that I was profitable, I knew that I had a lot more say, a lot more power within the organisation, so to speak. A lot of security as yeah. well. Um, so I think that's, you know, from a salesperson, the sales leader perspective, if you can't talk to the ROI of your team, that's pretty dangerous too, don't you think? Absolutely. And, and not just the ROI of the team, but the range in that ROI between the different levels of performance within the team. Yep. So if you are under pressure to cut back, you're cutting back in the right places yep. and you're crystal clear where you can't afford to cut back because it'll, be, it'll have too negative an impact. And I think if you're not across the data and you're not clear of the different levels of performance, it'd be really challenging for a sales leader to have the conversation with the exec. You know, I, I know from my perspective, if I was across it, I would sit there and say, okay, well, I've got a team of 10 or I've got a team of 20. You want me to take 20% of that team away, but I know that those four people equal X amount in sales. Yeah. So how do you want to make that up? Should we have a discussion around that? And what you might find is that rationalising for salespeople isn't the way, right? Well, often driven by finance and budgets, yep. but yeah, which organisations have ever saved themselves to success? You don't, you invest for success, don't you? Yeah, and look, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that you know, private equity's got thousands of stories of how they've cut costs and unnecessary costs as well. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but I suppose that question is, if the salespeople aren't performing, why did it wait for finance to come in? You know, yeah. I think as a sales leader, you've got to step in to that performance conversation earlier, right? Definitely. Um, Definitely. And I know that there's some, some data and stats and, and um, well, I won't make you, uh, you have to look this up at the moment, but I think it was a CEB came up with about the, percentage of sales leaders that organisations don't feel are, have the right skills to be able to deliver the role? I think it's 65 or 70%. No, it more than that. The latest one last year was around 83%. Okay, 83%. So they put them in a role they don't believe have the skills, right? And don't invest in them and give them the skills. Exactly right. And then a year later, two years later, three years later, have a complaint where they're not actually delivering. And then tell them, despite all of that, we now need you to achieve more with less. And I think it's the beauty of being external and a consultant. We can have these conversations that an internal person would struggle to have. Yeah. And multiple times I've had conversations with leaders where I better say, okay, so you've put them in a role, they've never done it before, they've got zero experience, you've never trained them, and you're saying they can't do the role. I actually had this with a private equity group recently. I said, how do you know if they're any good? How do you know if they can make it or not, if you've never actually tried, right? And so it's that idea of how do you ensure that you're investing in them to get that, that outcome, right? Definitely. So there's a couple of things I wanted to quickly cover in this. So one was this idea of getting around the ROI, just how critical it is. 
So whether you're a salesperson, a sales leader, or an exec, you need to be crystal clear on the performance of the team and individuals and what their ROI is. Right? We've got a bunch of case studies that we've been able to deliver for clients. And I think one of them we've got there, I don't think, I know we have one where it was a 50 times ROI. And we did that sort of double study, yeah. right? Where it was, a, it was an actual, I don't know what they call that study, where you know, there was a control group versus the rest of it. So it was a very clear ROI that we had. It's pretty easy going into year two, putting a proposal forward, saying whatever the cost is, 50 times that is what you're going to get back yeah. based on what we did yeah. last year. So there is no cost. You know, there, there's no cost to a business. And, and I certainly don't see what we do as a cost to a company. No, I see it as a, you know, something they're going to deliver. So there's, that's one. But two, you often talk about the, the ranges of performance, right, and the difference between high and low performance. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, so in most organisations, top performers, let, let's take a particular scenario. So B2B sales where we've got complex sales, larger deals, multiple decision makers. So, yeah, the most demanding form of sales. And in those sorts of organisations, top performers will typically be selling three to four times what the average team member is selling and somewhere in the region of six or seven times what the lowest performers are selling. Yeah. So huge variation there. But again, when you talk about ROI, yeah, are we talking about top-line sales or are we talking about profitability when we look at ROI? In yeah. some organisations, you know, just picking the right metric to do the comparison is makes a difference in the conversation that you have. Well, I think in our capability assessment, I think you've got 70-something metrics you can choose from. Is that right? It's, it's endless. Endless. Yeah. And so picking it correctly, you know, and we worked with an organisation where they, they talked about their high performers based on revenue yeah. that they were able to generate, yet we had some people who were really senior who were potentially built a book 10 years ago or 20 years ago or were handed a book maybe five or 10 yeah. years ago and it's declining. And we're saying, great, so we're calling that high performance. You know, they were writing five million, now they're writing three. Just because they're in your top yeah. 10 doesn't mean they're performing. They're actually losing business every year, right? But I think the thing is, and Will, we might get you to just overlay for those that are actually watching the that sort of sales enablement curve. Yeah, performance curve. Performance yeah. curve. And we've got it in a few of the promo things that we've pulled together. And it's that idea of, you know, separating the bottom 20%, the middle 60%, the top 20%, and then you look at the average, and then that, that core area of what are the top people doing better or differently? Exactly. And if you can really focus on you know, understanding it, number one, and then two, driving that across the entire organisation, it, it, number one says you will lift the average. It just no, will. Without a doubt. Right? Number two, there's often people who can't then implement that. Right? And they're your people you rationalise. The yeah. people who don't have that ability to become a high performer is where you rationalise it. It becomes really simple. The selection process becomes easier. Yes. Yeah. Don't think it's ever simple because of Sorry. all the, you know, the emotions that are involved yes, in yeah. you know, the loyalty that you can be feeling towards. The rational members. element of yes, it becomes exactly. really simple. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but in some cases, even at the emotional level, because we, we worked with a group um, and the, the head of that business become a really good friend of mine. And I would say it was 10 years ago we started working together and we looked at why they were struggling. And one of the reasons is that people would peter out at a certain number, call it half a million a year in fees yet their top writer would write 1 million, 1.1. So there's a gap between the number one writer, yeah. then the next group, and then the juniors who, who would just start. And they would hit a ceiling because there were senior people writing 300 grand a year, right? And it, it actually held us back 
rational, like emotionally, sorry, to be able to get people to aspire when senior people were sitting there writing 300 and you're telling this high potential young writer to come in and say, you should be writing 500,000. Yeah. Well, they're not. And they get treated like kings because they've been around for 10 years. And so we actually put things in place that it was high performance values and behaviors, you know, it was rituals yeah. throughout. And then slowly the selection process, they dropped themselves out. Yeah. yeah. Because if Perfect. you're in a comfortable position, you don't want to role play every day. No. You don't want to make that number of calls minimum. We actually got rid of the word KPI. We call it minimum standards. What are the yeah. minimum standards we we're going to aspire to? Now, the top guys didn't care about the minimum standards because they were so far over them, exactly. right? Yeah. It was only this one particular group that was kicking up a stink. None of them are there today. And I think they had, they had 10, 12 in the sales team. They went down to eight. They've now got like 19 or 20. And the average is six or 700, average. Right, yeah. and they've got multiple million dollar riders. Yeah. And so it works if you can just understand what that high performance piece looks like. So they get the, the mindset right to drive yeah. and the discipline and the activity levels. They get the skill set right, and then they get the best practices by understanding what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So it's not one silver bullet, is it? It's a combination no, of, of things. And the, the importance of being able to tune into that is just so much more critical when you're being asked to achieve more or less. Yes. And I think that's where that investment piece comes from. And we're not just saying get external consultants, but you, you have to be constantly investing in getting better, yeah. right? You, you just, you have to be, there's, there's no point at there. But again, how many times are you role playing? How many times are you objection handling? Yeah. How many times do you um, relook at the process? Yeah. How often is where we spend our time every day related to what the overall strategy, a 90 day plan, you know, exactly. it, it's, they're not linked half the yeah. time. And so by just pulling those things together, you know you're operating at that high performance operating rhythm. So you're giving yourself every chance of success. Exactly. But it's so much easier to measure then. Yeah. Right? But, and again, when we do the capability assessments, you know, what are the things that come in the top five on a regular basis? It's that we, we don't understand how to do win-loss analysis effectively. Yep. So we know why we win when we win. We don't know how to maximize our selling time. We're not confident that we're asking the right questions when we get in front of clients. Yep. So we're not getting to their core drivers and really understanding what we need to do to win. Yeah. We're not sure that we're spending the right time with the best possible opportunities because we're not as effective at qualifying as we can. Yep. These things are coming up all the time. And when you're under pressure to achieve more with less, you've got to get those things right. The, the win-loss analysis piece is, is, is interesting because, you know, we do a lot of interviews, like a, a clients bring us in, yeah. interview 10 staff, 12 staff, why do we win when we win? Why do we lose when we lose, right? When we lose. And organisations so often don't know it. And I remember this group, Asia-based, we did three interviews and we sat down and I said, oh, this is really obvious. Like it was so clear that when they put pitching best practice in and they pitch for major big deals, yeah. right? Bring the team together, get in early, get clear and do a stakeholder mapping and analysis, yeah. right? clear on the client drivers, and then develop a pitch it's clearly on that, they win like 90% of the time, yeah. right? When they don't, they lose 100% of the time. Yeah. It's, it's just clear, yeah. but they only do it about a third of the time. They only actually do best practice a third of the time. So we knew straight away, this is really easy. All we need to do is, it's, it's a cultural shift. There's some training involved yeah. and stuff, and we've worked on a few pitches for them now live, and, and we've got a great return, like, you know, we're, you know, we look like geniuses, and, and, but they are a quality organisation full of quality people who's just alignment. Yeah. That's what they need. And consistency. And consistency. Yeah. It's without fail, this is what yeah. we do. 
right? We rehearse. We do the stakeholders. Exactly. There's just a process that you need to yeah. go through. Coming to New Zealand, we help them build the pitch process. They've worked very hard at embedding it, and we've played a role in that, but, but internally they've been phenomenal. 19% shift in pitch conversion. 19% for a business that turns over a quarter of a billion dollars a year, a 19% shift in pitch conversion by just following an effective process. Yeah. That's how you do more with less. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. And so there's countless things you can do to do more with less, but I think number one, you've got to get clear on the measurement. Two, be clear on your ROI. And then three, work on these critical areas that make a great impact. Would it be fair to say that most top performers that you've seen tend to do the same things consistently well? To the point where it's almost boring. Yeah. You know, I often say this, that if a salesperson often says to me, I'm actually a bit bored by this, you're probably doing it right. Because <laughs> it is, it's ritualised, yeah. right? It's yeah. just, this is how I start my day. Here's my call list. This is how it matches to this. This is who I'm following up with. This is yeah. who I'm following through. Now, boring is probably a bad term because I don't find any day boring in what we do. But it is that idea of you've just got to ritualise it and you've just got to make it habit. Yeah, yeah. You, you do. And, you know, I talked about it today in the Learning Cafe that there's a salesperson down the road who's in real estate. Big shout out to Pete. Um, he's a multi-million dollar writer, but he is, you set your clock to it the time he's in the office the time he does his team meetings. He sold my property the last year, year before last, and we had a chat one night just afterwards, and he was having a glass of wine, and he was taking me through a few things. And it's just, you know, he's almost a genius into the simplicity of what he drives. Yeah. Yeah. And he shares it. He openly shares what he does with people. He does trainings with, with competitors, right, at no charge. But it's that idea of, okay, here's the blueprint, but it's almost with full knowledge that no one's gonna do it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's hard. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. So, so the other bit that we've got an expertise in now because we learnt it from, from number one is, is we knew that we were never going to have the ability to just put 10 more consultants on. One, because the expertise is hard to find and two, that the cost would be difficult. Yeah. Right? So I sat with a, a CEO of a major consulting firm, like thousands of staff, so the big, one of the big four, and he said that if you can't scale through people, you must scale through technology. And I think this is one of the missing pieces that we see in a lot of organisations, yeah. is that everyone's leaning towards technology, but there is so much off-the-shelf technology, but how do we actually translate that to help us sell? That's right. Right? Well, you remember when we were at Salesforce a couple of years ago, yeah, in one of the sessions they were talking about the fact that the average... B2B BDM had 11 or 12 different major applications or technology-based tools to yes. help them sell. Yes, 11 or 12. And imagine that. Imagine just sitting through your phone and just shifting through, which one am I going to use today? Yeah. I don't remember that specifically. Jed's referring to Dreamforce in San Francisco yeah. uh, just before COVID. Um, I do remember uh, Napa Valley. I remember <laughs> Sonoma. I remember Chez Panisse. Do you remember that? I do. In Berkeley, yes. one of the best meals I think I've ever had. I got a bit slammed by the exchange rate on the bottle of wine once um, <laughs> and the, the service charges, but it was, um, it was certainly, uh, it, it was an eye-opener, wasn't it? How people use technology. And I think, you know, for a bit of context for, for those listening, we've gone through this journey for the last probably five years now around how do we leverage technology? And one of the fears is that the, the more we give away, does this mean our consulting stops? where in essence it's gone the reverse, mm, yeah. that we're actually, 
we you know, almost can't keep up with the amount of consulting, it's actually increasing. And so we've looked into why would our consulting increase when they actually have access to what we're providing you know, online through technology. And what we've come up with is that technology plays almost a, a key account relationship management role. It's a visibility piece. So if you've got a team of 30 people and you've got 5,000 clients, you know, just do the math there, you're not seeing them very often. Right? And if you've got to see people multiple times, but if you've got technology that can be in front of them whenever, wherever, and providing high quality content, high quality, like providing value. I think to a, think back to a, a guy through COVID that I coached. Um, he said, I just can't get in front of financial advisors. They don't want to see me. They're too busy trying to reconnect with their clients and they're, they're stressed out there. And he said, they don't know how to run their businesses remotely. I said, well, how are you doing it? He goes, well, we're getting training on WebEx, on Zoom, on Teams, on BlueJeans. We've got this like world-class training. Great. So help your financial advisors on how to run their businesses. So he did. He became a trainer for financial advisors on how to change their business model. Who was the first person they let back in? Right? The first person that was front of mind when they were starting to see people. Right? And he had a record year after that because he had time with people. Yeah. And in sales, often we need time. So I think it's this idea of, and, and certainly, you know, my brain goes on this topic a million miles an hour. Over the break, I was just thinking of which businesses could leverage technology to better have greater visibility and genuinely add value to their clients. With the goal of helping them grow their business and, uh, and sell more. So, so, so you brought up in conversation earlier one of our clients who releases new products quite regularly. So their sales team has to run training sessions. Yeah. But the industry they're training and selling to is very short-staffed. Stay with me, I promise this example makes sense. And so instead of running a training session with 10 staff members, they've got to run it three times or four times. Sometimes yeah. it's individual. The training is not as effective because it's quite distracted. And as we know in training, you don't do one-off training sessions and suddenly it sits. And they don't want people just to know their product, they need them to be able to sell it. Yeah. So what we found is that over 50% of their time was not selling, it was on training. So what we've actually worked out as a solution for them is using Enable IQ, obviously, so it you know, might be a bit of a plug here, is using Enable IQ allows them to actually put all of the product training, so all of the information, it's consistent. So we're not saying there's half of the team's good at training, some of them are great and yeah. some of them are not yeah. so good. We just use best practice across the board of training out there. And it means that this industry can access it anytime. But also the ones that don't use them very much is getting this value add. But now they're adding extra, they can add extra, thing, how to run a more effective practice, yeah, yeah. right? So, so the visibility of this group is that their clients or potential clients are seeing them all the time, right? And then 50% of their sales team, and we're talking about a team of 30 or 40, so 30 say, it means that 15 salespeople are coming back into their team. Yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. equivalent, right? Yeah. So, so let, let's put a bit more sort of structure around that. So when we look at, I'm being asked to achieve more with less. Yeah, yeah. Technology is going to be part of the solution for me. Yep. I've got an opportunity potentially to use it to get more in front of and more visibility with my clients and potential clients. Yep. In, in what ways can technology help the salespeople become more productive? What have you seen working in that space? Well, I, th I think for salespeople, um, you know, I, I've wrote a couple of things down before. Like we don't always know 
with technology, right? We don't actually know the, like new things are coming at all the time. And so I think for salespeople to get a bit more creative on how they could be using technology, like this potentially, you know, this guy talked about with the Zoom and the WebEx yeah, and things like right. that. I, I think, but I would look at what are you doing regularly? Like if you're regularly updating, so a financial advice group that we work with was finding that in June or May and June, they weren't seeing any clients because they were too busy just taking talk calls, getting everything ready for tax time, right? Yep. So we proactively set up a system where everything just went out automatically. Even if you could go on and log in online. So we set a reminder of how to log in, a video on how to do it, and then just these are all your details that you need. Right. Right? We cut right. the calls by 90-something percent. There were still a few elderly people who just love to pick up the phone. Yeah. But we're talking like 90-something percent was fixed like that by just automating. Yeah. Right? So what are some things that you can do? And there's some great you know, marketing you know, things. Like I think we use Pardot. Um, again, we're not involved with, with Salesforce apart from being a client of theirs. But, but we use Pardot. But the, the ability to automate account-based marketing, yeah. the ability to, to automate who you're seeing, when you're seeing, like how well are you using your, your CRM? And, and you know, Salesforce is one, there's, there's plenty of them that you could be using, but how well are you using it to actually say, who should I be spending my time with? Yeah, you know, we worked with a group that we talked about and we did a lot of that uh, lead scoring as yeah, well. Yeah. And so we just looked at the client base and we put scores around it. Why are they our clients? And so then we looked at the prospect list and the people we could target and said, well, based on the score, they're the hundred that we should focus on. Right? Nice. And, yeah. and it became really simple because it was in a particular geographical area, it had a certain ownership, it, you know, it, it just it was really clear and the closure rate was phenomenal. Right? And so again, using the CRM to be able to guide that, and CRMs now can automate that. They can yeah, do it for you. Absolutely. Right? So, so I suppose that there's that element of technology, but also then, you know, big believers in content production now, why aren't you producing content yeah. and delivering it out to people? Yeah. Again, if you're having the same conversation multiple times, especially to existing clients, or, or they have to have multiple conversations with their clients, why aren't you helping them have those conversations more effectively? Nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost the best salespeople in a lot of industries are the best coaches. Right? How do you coach someone to be able to say that more effectively? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sense? Completely. Yeah, good. So, so I think, you know, if, if, if I could sort of bring this to a head a little bit, it, it, it's these transformations and rationalizations of teams are often some of the more stressful periods of leaders' lives. You know, there's no, not very few leaders are out there going, oh, this is awesome, I get to cut more of my team members. But I think it's getting really clear and, and you don't have a leg to stand on unless you have the data, unless you can actually say, this is what my sales team delivers. I know we need to cut costs, but could we cut it here? Or could we look at integrating marketing more effectively yeah. as opposed to cutting sales marketing? You know, and, and actually looking at where's the ROI? And if you're not getting an ROI, then they probably shouldn't be there yeah, yeah. in the first place, yeah. right? Um, and then getting some data around who you should be choosing. Then you should be exploring hard technology solutions that can make up for, you know, uh, or, or complement sales teams, Yeah. right? And so, you know, certainly that's, it's a, you know, I think we're having eight conversations at the moment with organisations around how they can better talk to their members, how they can talk to their clients, yeah. their clients' clients. You know, I think you used that term the other day, helping our clients connect better with their customers. Yes. Right, and you can use technology to do that. You can just do it at such scale and in a way, from a lead scoring perspective, or lead nurturing, that's what you're doing, isn't it? Exactly right, yeah. exactly. You make one video, it goes to yeah. 8,000 people. And then the salespeople can focus on the high quality opportunities that come out of that. High quality and, and warm opportunities. 
Okay. And I think that that's the, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a better place to play, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Uh, and, and I've been in sales roles where you're literally starting from scratch. You're building a business from nothing. So there's zero warm leads to a business of today where, you know, 99% of what we deal with is, is on that warm scale. I know what I'd prefer, but if you've got that ability, if I could use technology to go out and generate warm leads, I suppose we are in a way doing yeah. that, it, it's a much more effective way as a salesperson and a sales leader. And if you're not looking into it, you've got to be looking into it. Yeah, and you need to take it out of the hands of your IT teams, right? And getting that sales lens on it. Yeah. And it's not a matter of just buying a platform because there's thousands of them and just plugging it in because we've, you know, I've had this conversation with, um, a big global company, their CEO and I catch up quite regularly about their biggest challenge. If someone buys their platform, they create a little bit of content, they don't know how to do it, it's not great. People stop using it and they think, oh, this platform's terrible. Yeah. So they switch to the next platform. And I can give you a dozen clients now that have done the same thing over the past number of years. They keep changing it as opposed to, you need expertise to create quality content. Yeah. How are we gonna use it? It's a bit like the Salesforce thing. Mm. The system of, I'll let you say it. Well, so, moving from it being a simple system of record, an administrative system, yep. to one where it becomes a system of impact because it helps you sell, yep. it helps you work out where to focus, what the next best action is, so you're confident you're always being as effective as possible. Yeah, yeah. and so that sort of yeah, list of three is a system of record, moves into a system of insight, Yes. moving to a system of impact. Nice. And that's where we want to be, yeah. a system of impact. So I think, one of the reasons I thought we're having this conversation is that we often have these conversations after work over a drink and we talk about what we learned, a coaching session and, and getting quite specific and we thought, what if we could share some of this with, with people out there? Um, Will, have we got time to cover one more piece or do you think it's a... I think we have time. Yeah? All right. All right. We'll go on one more. I had, um, I had three or four uh, people that I ended up coaching through December. Right. That's starting again in January. And whilst each of their situations were very, very different, there was a one major similarity, and it was around communication challenges. Right? And I think sometimes we, we think of sales and we think of B2B or B2C, like we're talking about how do we sell to a consumer. Yeah. And sales gets a bad name sometimes because it's, you know, you know, some people for influencing and high-impact communication. But sales is... Communication, mm -hmm. effective communication. Yeah. Often I'll, I'll talk about, um, went to a, a bar last night for dinner and I walked up, he texted me happy new year, let me know when he was back open. I texted him and said, hey, um, you mind if I pop by and sit outside tonight? He goes, mate, I'll, I'll move heaven and earth for you, he said. And I get there and I get a big hug, sits me down and says, I've got a couple of wines over the break for you. Um, I was thinking of you, what do you think? Like, I felt valued, yes. I felt warm, I felt special, right? And I bought all the wines that he wanted me to buy, <laughs> so I was sold to at the same time. Yeah. Now, do I then begrudge him as a result of that? Not at all, right? That is selling almost at its best, right? And so this idea of, of how do we use communication, so here's the question I'm throwing up. Impression versus substance, all right? How big a role does impression play when it comes to our careers Right versus the substance of being a good person, being an expert and being good at what we do. Yeah. All right, over yeah. to you. So I, I would imagine you could almost break it down in that when you're interviewing somebody, 
it's all about impression. But once they're appointed and they're on the job and they're working, it's all about substance. And if there's a dis disconnect between the two, then you have challenges, you have problems. It, it, it's, it's, yes, uh, and I knew you'd bring a scientific matrix in somehow. <laughs> um, but I think you're being interviewed all the time. And that's what I think people oh, of miss. Themselves, yes. But, yeah. but, but not just in any job. Your bosses are constantly looking, right? They're constantly getting called by recruiters. I've got this great person. They've constantly got friends in the industry that have left something else. You get a chance to speak in front of management. They're all interviews, yeah. right? Whether we like them or not, they're interviews. One of the things I, I find quite funny is you, you know, happened with um, a, a few coaches in, in rugby league and the cricket where they said, um, yeah, we weren't gonna hire this person at all. You know, he was on the outsider, but came in with this brilliant presentation and blew us away. Then we win four games a season for the next three seasons and suddenly realising that the ability to do a PowerPoint presentation uh, and blow a yeah, committee away has nothing to do with how you can coach a football team. Was he Eddie Jones? It wasn't Eddie Jones. He did. <laughs> oh, you're being harsh. Right? Didn't he do well for England for a while? He did 19 in a row, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and then suddenly, yeah, very, very uh, short memories. <laughs> 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 suddenly, he's dead to us. But yeah, it's a tough game coaching, right? Yeah. But I think it's the same thing in, in, in corporate roles. Yeah, we walk in for an interview, and sometimes we are the best person for the role, right? I shouldn't say this, I don't think I've had a job interview in 20 years, but, you know, could be the best person for the role. You could be, and I should clarify this, I would coach 20 to 30 people, probably more a year, on going for job interviews, right? These are people that are either friends or, or clients that, yeah. that I help out and things through, through this process. Um, they're right for the role, but they haven't got their strategy, structure and communication right, right? I, I had one in particular that I can think of, that went in and said, where you've been working probably doesn't really suit our business. Their businesses were so similar, right? But it was a communication issue. Right. So we sat down, we went through, we built a strategy, and then straight afterwards said, oh, sorry, we got this wrong. You're brilliant, you're perfect for this. It was just how he explained it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so is he any better in the role because of it? No. That hasn't changed, probably a bit better because he can communicate better and understands it, but it's that process behind it. Okay. Does that make sense? It, it does. It, in a way, it surprises me a bit because I, I think of salespeople and sales leaders as, be, as communication being one of their, their core strengths in many ways. Yeah, I wish it was. I wish it was, and please don't take offence to anyone that's listening. I think in sales sometimes, and I worked for a company 20-something years ago, that some of the best salespeople I'd ever seen really struggled in sales post that because it was a product. They were very clear on the product. Right. They were given a strategy of how to sell that product and it was extremely repetitive. But what it didn't teach them was communication. Now, okay. where sales, repetitive sales can be good is you have thousands of conversations. So a thousand hellos, a thousand goodbyes, a thousand how are you. You know, I did door to door selling when I was younger and what it taught me was not how to do what I do today in any way whatsoever. What it did teach me though, probably a bit of resilience. Number two, a bit of fire and mongrel and on getting out there and making it work. You can rely on yourself. But more importantly, small talk. That ability to build connection quickly, because you had to. Yeah. Right? You have to. Um, I used to work on the way I said, see how long you've been living in the area for? To make it sound throwaway. 
you know, you'd ask for a cup of a glass of water to see what they came back with. If they came back with a mug of, you know, warm water versus a, do you want a coffee, a Coke, a, 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 a lemonade or something like that, then you knew straight away the temperature in the room was a lot warmer than it was yeah, otherwise. Yeah. But these little things that it teaches you, if you're aware, but sometimes we fail to take these sales conversations with us, you know, and, and I'm probably being a bit harsh and a bit dramatic here, but for a job interview, I think we just turn up and we assume like I had someone recently said, I'm not really sure I want the job, so I'm not going to do any prep. <laughs> right? Imagine that. I said, that'd be good for your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What you should do is give a really bad impression to as many recruiters and companies out there as possible. Right? Whereas that's what I mean is we are always being interviewed. Got it. And so we have to, we're always going to be thinking about what's the outcome that I want? You know, the old do, think, feel. Yeah. What do I want them to do? What do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel as a result of this communication? because it covers the rational and the emotional yeah. element and it drives action. And I think, you know, you're turning this into a communication, something into job interviews, so you're not suggesting people should leave their roles and, and move into it. But there's one in particular that I work through that we've worked heavily on his ability to communicate their particular um, offerings out there and the feedback has been phenomenal. He doesn't know any more about these products, no. right? You know, He's just got the messaging right. That's right. Yeah. Now, his expertise versus my expertise on this product is 99 to 1, right, on a scale of 100. Yet, I'm the one helping him get the messages right for their offerings. These people with these job interviews, and this is what I was going to say, is, is a couple of people I've been dealing with, coaching them on how they can better manage their leaders, so their managers, because they are communicating to their managers the way they like to be communicated to, which, again... It's anti-sales, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it feels like there's almost a link with the last conversation we had where if you're being asked to achieve more with less, the way that you respond to those requests and the messages and the data that you share yeah. is probably critical. 100%. Yeah. There, there, there's... Um I was helping someone with an email on a personal note, like not personal, personal, but it's something to do with, you know, they've um, been asked to pay for something with a supplier, they're doing a renovation or something like this. And, and um, it was this idea of that's not what they said, so I'm going to tell them that's wrong. And instantly I've got, okay, and what outcome do you think will happen as a result? Yeah. And, well, they'll probably get a bit angry out there. Great. So what have we created? We've created a combative environment. Mm. All right. Why don't we give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know? And what if we said, thanks for your email, really sorry, there's probably been a bit of a miscommunication, right? What you may not be aware of is this person said this. It's quite, and that's why we're confident this. Um, so apologies that wasn't said to you um, from there. So looking forward. And just assuming everything's okay, yeah, yeah. right? Email comes back, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to for this, and it's all sorted, as opposed to the other way of doing it. Now, that's just a sales mindset, isn't it? It's Absolutely. just a, an idea Absolutely. of, okay, what outcome do I want to achieve? And so I, I suppose if I think back to what's the point of me wanting to bring this up to people who, who may or may not still be listening, it's this idea of that everyone's different. We talk about this all the time, but that includes our manager, our manager's managers, yeah. it includes our peers, it includes our people. So how do we take the mindset of a salesperson who is looking at that on a day-to-day -day basis and saying, okay, this person's different. They're not into fluff. They're not 
you know, this guy recently said to me, um, a lady said, my boss just has no like, EQ whatsoever. Great. So you know that. So now we deal with it with someone with no EQ. So understanding their style and what will work for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And on a regular basis, this person thinks I'm lazy. Great. So communicate to them and educate them on a regular basis and demonstrate that you're not, being, that you're not lazy. Like, don't tell them you're not being lazy. Walk faster when you move past them. Yeah. Get to the point faster when you're looking at them. Always be carrying something with you, right? You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah, that yeah. idea of be ready. Like I probably get laughed at. I know Mel uh, you know, tells me not to bring my iPad to restaurants because um, it sometimes gets left at some of the best restaurants in Sydney. But I take it with me because I'm always ready to do business. Yeah. Uh, like if there's a break, someone goes to the bathroom, I'm on the, the iPad. I'm working, you know, and, and it's that idea of, I don't think there'd be too many people, like you know, I cop a lot of complaints from people, but laziness and, and lack of intent is probably not one of them. No. But I walk quick, talk quick, get on with things, and so therefore it creates an impression. Now, if you've got a really analytical boss that likes to take time with things, first of all, they wouldn't hire me <laughs> because um, <laughs> I just won't do it. But, but, but secondly, you have to take your time. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, you need more time and then when we're talking about something serious, hopefully I've demonstrated it with you, but I'll write it out. Yeah. And I'll say, I don't need a decision straight away. Yeah. Right? And when I do that, you often make a decision straight away. Right? Because people who are analytical don't want the pressure of making a decision on the spot. So it's, to, to summarise that then, we're saying that in any conversation you have, understanding the style that will work with the person you're talking to and asking that question, what do I want them to think, feel, or do as a result of this? It's worth taking some time, particularly for the important conversations, to think about that so you get the best outcome every time. 100%. But the same in all aspects of communication, yeah. Yeah. right? And, and that's the, don't get me wrong, I don't always do it. You can see that. Sometimes I'll just bark it out, because I, I don't care, I just, want, I just want it done. Does that make sense? But if you genuinely want a greater outcome, you should, and if we go real practical, you should be doing a stakeholder map of your organisation. You should do an analysis of who the critical people are within the organisation, right? What is their business style and behaviour? How do they like to be communicated with? And what is their number one driver? What gets them up every day? And what do I do that meets that? You get one thing out of this, do that. Right? There's a lady um, I saw on LinkedIn, uh, I won't give this away, but I, I helped coach her into a leadership role. And it was, it was a bit of a falsehood coaching. It was, we don't think she's right. She's not experienced. She's never done management before, but we believe in her. We want to invest in her. So she's going to go through the process, unlikely to get it this time. And so between her and I, we got our shoulders up a little bit, shoulders back and said, no, we're going to win this. And we did an analysis. And we worked out that the organization she works for is very high pace. They have massive goals. They want to be bigger and greater every single year. And we talked about bringing somebody experienced in with their own thoughts, their th own ideas into an already successful business. That what would happen to the organization if they didn't get it right? Yeah. Can you afford six to 12 months going backwards of momentum and then rebuilding, right? Out there. And so the boss calls me up and said, mate, just letting you know, we've decided to give this person the job. Uh, I said, could I ask why? He said, yeah, look, she knows how our business runs. We're running fast and we just can't afford a mishap at this point. So literally word for word, <laughs> word, for word. Yeah. And, 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 and 
this lady, very clever, executed it. She, you know, I didn't come up with the strategy. All we did was the process, mm. and, and she did it. And, and I suppose all I want people thinking about is just how critical communication is. Impressions, like we use the term impressions. Yeah. That's how people judge you when we first meet you, yeah. right? 93% of all uh, impressions are, are, are from visual and uh, what we hear, right? I feel like saying we'll look that up because I've stuffed that up a little bit, but 7%'s the words, right? 38% yeah. is vocal and 55% is visual, right? That's the first impression within 30 seconds of meeting someone, yet we get so focused on getting the word right, the substance right, that's not what people are looking for, you know? Someone today over lunch was, was telling me, you know, I said, what do you think of this? Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good. Okay, <laughs> so you don't like it, tell me why. No, it's good. Why is your voice higher? You know, you, you, you're saying one thing, but you're not saying the other. Yeah. So then we had a real conversation behind it. And so I think that, you know, look at it for your leaders, look at it for your peers, do that stakeholder mapping. And, and then for those who are, you know, obviously clients of ours, go on the platform and go through that process in pitching. It, it, it takes you through that entire process. For those that aren't, reach out. We'll, we'll share some things with you. But then this other aspect is, being an expert is one thing. The ability to communicate allows you to be heard. Mm. Like sit with that for a moment. That ability to be genuinely heard. So I, I've had engineers who, you know, work on drilling through tunnels and things on a metro project, getting them up in front of the New South Wales government to pitch. Their expertise isn't communication and they, they often don't like the fact that they've got yeah, to communicate, yeah. right? But that ability to be heard for your message to get cut through, everyone wants that. No one wants to feel like they talked for no reason. Mm. So that ability to be heard is a really critical piece. And an interesting thing that I'm hearing there is that I think it would be quite natural for people to prepare for important sales meetings, but overlook the, the criticality of the internal communication. 100%. Whereas the skill set is the same, the approach is the same, the critical success factors and things that make a difference are the same. Look at your, when you talk about developing a high performance operating rhythm. Yeah. For every internal meeting, there's prep. There's reflection at the end of every single day, because yeah. yeah. it's critical. Like I think back to the, when I was out selling back in the day, you know, in people's offices or even in homes, but in offices in particular, people get so prepared for that meeting with the person they're selling to, and they forget that before that, they're being watched sometimes getting out of the car. Like how you walk in, the intent of how you walk in, how organised are you going there? You know, people talk about, oh, I've got this process and I'm really process driven and they're fumbling paperwork. Well, you don't look process driven, right? Mm. Substance wise, you might be. Impression, you're not. Are they going to believe your substance? No. no. They believe the impression because that's what they're seeing and hearing. The fact that you're not making conversation with the person at the front. You know, you're not saying hello to people as you're walking through. All those small elements make a critical piece. And so it's that idea that if you can't get the combination of substance and impression right, you'll be limited in what you can achieve. If you have no substance, you won't last anyway, right? <laughs> but if you can't, it's that combination yeah. of both, I think is the, you know, I can feel a matrix coming on, Jed. <laughs> I'm just looking back at some of my jobs in the past and thinking, I wish I'd had this conversation with you 20 years ago. I think from all of us, you know, I, I think that had we been able to learn these things when we were younger, and I think that, you know, maybe this is a way to finish. What inspires me at the moment is the amount of training and learning I get for free online. Mm. 
meaning listening to podcasts. I was learning from Gary Vee the other day, from Richard Branson the other day. I was learning from uh, this morning on my, on my exercise, I was learning from a, one of the world's leading neuroscientists around optimism and the impact optimism has on our careers and lives. You know, this is, it's pretty cool what we get to learn. Yeah. But what we do, it's a profession. And it's got a skill set that's very lightly learnt and it's, it's not taught very often. And so I suppose that we get to teach it. I suppose, you know, we're getting to the stage of our lives and we want to share that and, and that's what we're here for, right? Without a doubt. We might use that as a, a way of uh, wrapping up. I'm getting the nod from Will that we've probably hit our, our time. Um, those who've listened, thank you. We're going we're gonna to share this on a really regular basis where, you know, I'm going to keep writing my journal, keep writing down. You know, we're only four days into the month, which is why we don't have a lot so far, but we're just going to pick one or two key things that we've learned every week, bring some guests along and really hope that you get something from it. 